listening to Ouija Broads. This is Liz. This is Devin. We're back. I'm back. Yeah. We're back with you, and we are welcoming you to our new season, which is it okay if I call it what I was oh, you, coming up with? Girl, you call it whatever Ouija, you want. Ouija Broads Far From Home. Indeed. So the concept has to do with travelers, mm-hmm. expeditions, explorers, mm-hmm. castaways, mm-hmm. voyages, all this kind of stuff. I've got some ideas I'm really excited about. But this is going to be one that, unlike Skid Row, which was very focused on one place, yeah. obviously, this, I think, can encompass a lot of different topics. So oh, yes. I have modern ideas, and the one I'm doing today is really, really, really old. I'm so excited. You know I love finding connection and making threads happen between things, and with a theme like Far From Home that can reach backward in time and all the way up mm-hmm. to the present and also reach across the country as long as there's some kind of Pacific Northwest connection that we think is strong enough and interesting enough to be talked about. Oh, girl, kid in a candy store here with topics. <laughs> I love it. I started out thinking I was going to do a different topic for the first episode of the series. Yeah. And then I went to research it and I went, no. And here's why. <laughs> is It was about Meriwether Lewis. Mm-hmm. Obviously, he's quite a traveler, but his death was mysterious quote-unquote i'm I'm using liberal air quotes here but as i dug into it i went okay i can't suspend my disbelief enough to come up with a version of myself that can advocate for this being anything besides him dying at his own hand okay and much of the mystery of it as so often happens in these cases, is about his behavior. Yeah. Which, if you're not looking for a murder mystery, is really clearly just somebody who's decompensating. And in a lot of distress. And I I don't want to unpick that with Devin for an hour. That sounds grim. (laughs) (laughs) No, thank you. It sounds like any humor we would find, we would regret having found. Oh, God, yeah. (laughs) Let's just not and say we didn't. There we go. The mysterious death of Meriwether Lewis is really not tremendously mysterious or very well sourced from what I could find. I think it's just there's there's something that we do not like the idea of people hurting themselves or people ending their own lives. And there is always someone, especially with like a well-known figure who wants to come in, even when it's not that. I'm thinking of like Zachary Taylor. Right? Where there's been all the conspiracies that he was poisoned rather oh, than just, you know, yeah. ate raw fruit in mm-hmm. summer in D.C. and mm-hmm. drank milk or, you know, lived before hospitals could do anything for anybody. Uh-huh. Like, let's just be surprised he made it that long. <laughs> but, you know, you always want to see a conspiracy. Mm-hmm. And if it's a figure mm-hmm. from the past where there's enough known about them that you can say, well... They behaved like this, and they had these enemies, and they said such and such about this other person. Then you can usually string something together, but that doesn't change the fact that, unfortunately, uh, you know, mental health problems are real, and sometimes that's a thing that happens, and it's sad like any other chronic disease that becomes a terminal disease. So, in conclusion, I went completely left field, and today we're going to talk about Fusong. Oh, oh. I actually really like it when instead of going 
east from the northwest back to the east coast. Yeah. We go west and end up in Asia. That's very fun to me. Because oh, yes. I feel like it's not how I was raised conceptualizing the right. world. Right. And it's fascinating. Yeah. I will jump in. Let me tell you about Fusang as a concept. Okay. In Chinese mythology, Fusang is a tree, a divine magic tree. Oh, cool. On an island in the east where the sun comes from. Okay. So in this tree, there's usually, according to the legends, 10 birds living in the tree. Mm -hmm. And on any given day, nine of them rest, and the 10th one carries the sun on its journey, just like you know, Apollo with his chariot, yeah. basically, right? Yeah, but we trade um, it out. They've, yeah, yeah, a different bird every time, right? Yeah, and apparently in some versions of it, there's actually 10 suns. So like each oh, cool. raven is responsible for its own sun mm-hmm. because there's another legend of a guy named Hu Yi who is credited, as Wikipedia tells me, with saving the world by shooting down nine of the suns when they all ten simultaneously took to the air one day. I appreciate it. Okay, that's scary. Yeah, I appreciate that, man. That's too many. Yeah. Now, from that, the fact that this tree is on an island to the east has meant that Fusang has become the island that it's on, Mm -hmm. and Fusang has become sort of any legendary land to the east of China. Okay. There are a lot of places that people say are Fusang. Okay. For a while in, like, Chinese poetry, they would call Japan Fusang, Mm -hmm. right? Like, that's Mm -hmm. the island that is to the east. It has, in my mind, a lot of overlap conceptually i don't know what word i'm looking for it vibes to me as <laughs> the kind of thing like atlantis or okay. the the pit of hell or whatever okay. one of those things where people are always saying they think they've discovered it yeah and you're like i'm not sure this was meant literally by anyone at any point. <laughs> I thought it was like a over the hills and far away. It was like yes. in a far off land in a galaxy far, far yes. away. It's just Fusang. Like, yeah. it's, yeah. you know, over there yeah. where the sun comes from. Yeah. I don't think anybody was literally saying, and we assume the sun comes from Japan. Like, sure. But we I wanted, think they had it under control enough want, scientifically we, at that point. We want to right. do that, though, don't we, with... with ancient cultures mythologies or with current cultures mythologies that go back farther than we can really conceptualize we want to say like you fucking dummies you Mm -hmm. thought the sun came out of an island you thought the sun came from hawaii didn't you just admit it just let me feel superior (laughs) to you when we forget because obviously i would have been able to figure that out oh i would have known that before copernicus Absolutely. Yeah, sure. Galileo who? I would have totally known what was going on with the astronomical bodies above me. We forget, I think, or don't, we don't give enough credit to different cultures and different time periods as having the concept of metaphor. Yeah, yeah. Metaphor or legend and the concept of fiction. Yeah. And spirituality. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. Your point about how we think about what 
non-Western European cultures knew Mm -hmm. and how they knew it and when they knew it is absolutely key to this story of Fusang. Mm -hmm. So Fusang has one specific, somewhat primary source of description. Okay. Once upon a time, there was a Buddhist monk named Hui Shan who around the year 500 AD mm-hmm. presented himself before the emperor and told the tale of a journey that took him across the ocean to Fusang. Okay. Now, the first thing I need to point out here is we do not have a direct record of this. We've got a book that was written about 100 plus years later oh. that talked about this presentation. Okay. So it's not when we say, you know, Hui Shan said this, we don't have like a little pamphlet he did. Of like, <laughs> you know, is it beautiful? Foof song. Uh-huh. <laughs> this is already secondhand as of 600 AD. Yeah. So here are some of the things that he had to say. He said, there's a plant there, a Fusong tree, which Whenever we're unpacking who said what and why, mm-hmm. this might explain it. Like, if you saw a island with a beautiful tree on it and you said, this is the tree of paradise, this is yeah. Paradise Island or whatever. Yeah. Like, again, how literal was he being yeah. versus was he actually saying it looks like the tree in the stories? You yes. Know? Maybe he's yeah. saying yeah. it looks like an ent. It looks like, yeah. you know, this is a shared frame of reference we all have. Yeah. So he said, Fusang is about 20,000, in this translation that says Chinese miles, the word is li, and we're going to have to come back to that one. Okay. About 20,000 Chinese miles, 20,000 li, in an easterly direction from Tahan. There's many Fusang trees there. The fruit is like a pear in form, but it's red. From the bark, they prepare a sort of linen, which they use for clothing, And in various translations, it's, like, also a sort of ornamented stuff or apparently also also for, like, fine silk or something like that. Okay. So this is a very exciting tree. Like, you can eat the fruit. You can build stuff with the trunk. You can, uh... (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) What is it? You can make clothes out of the bark. Like, it's a very handy handy tree. This is a song tree. Yeah. Uh, Oh, you can also make paper from the bark because have writing they make paper okay they have a very organized culture they don't have weapons they don't have wars but they have two prisons actually (laughs) they have the the way it was translated in this version i have is trifling offenders were lodged in the southern prison you're like ah for trifling (laughs) for trifling they were jaywalkers they were yep just absolutely trifling if you committed a greater offense, you're put in the northern prison. Okay. And he said that the men and women who were imprisoned for life were allowed to marry. The boys resulting from these marriages were at the age of eight years sold as slaves. The girls not until their ninth year. If a man of any note was found guilty of crimes. I don't know what a man of any note means. Like something very much would get lost in translation. So sure. <laughs> With this like sure. chain of whispers. You are playing so a game see. of telephone, right? Absolutely, yeah. If a man of any note was found guilty of crimes, an assembly was held. It must be an excavated place, like a pit. There they strewed ashes over him and bade him farewell. You're like, what? Did well, they kill him with ashes? What do you mean? Yeah, yeah. Or is it a shunning? You know? Do you just yeah. like, all right, well, we're pour ashes on? See you later. Like, hi, ruined your clothes. 
Now everybody knows. You're Mr. Ashes on your head. Get wrecked. I don't know. You bid him farewell, I guess. Let's see. It, it said that they had a king and nobles. Okay. When the prince goes forth, he's accompanied by horns and trumpets. The color of his clothes changes with the different ears. In the two first of the ten-year cycles, they are blue. Da, 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 da. And it goes on to like explain all this. Yeah. They have oxen, horses, stags. It says they use stags here as cattle are used in the Middle Kingdom. And from the milk of the hind, they make butter. Mm. See, they don't have any iron. They don't prize copper, gold, and silver. This is important for later. Marriage is determined upon in the following manner. The suitor builds himself a hut before the door of the house where the one longed for dwells and waters and cleans the ground every morning and evening. When a year has passed by, if the maiden is not inclined to marry him, he departs. Should she be willing, it is completed. When you put it like that, I kind of love it. Like, he has to live in her yard for a year, taking good care of a little house he built. That's that's really a good sign. It's great. patience. Mm -hmm. That shows housekeeping ability. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yep. Yep. Steadfastness, determination, the skill to build a house, first of all, sounds good to me. And I wonder as well, like... Maybe when somebody first would set up, you'd be like, oh, Jesus, not you. Yeah. But then after, like, a couple months, you're like, you know. Right. Don't you feel <laughs> you like. You're really committed to this. Yeah. I feel like you could find some <laughs> redeeming qualities of a person yeah. after three months of them living in a playhouse in your backyard. Yeah. You know? Maybe. <laughs> when, I put it, when I put it in my words, no, it does not sound like a, a good start a basis for a marriage. Oh, so according to. The person who reported on this monk, he actually says that in AD 458, he didn't put it like that, that five beggar monks from China went over and basically spread Buddhism to Fusang. Okay. As you probably know, one of the places that people have said was that Fusang is the Northwest. Yeah. And with what I just read you, I have a feeling you're going, why? Because that was it. I, like, I left out a little bit of detail, but, like, that was basically it. I, yeah, yeah. And I'm obviously no expert on the people who have lived here since time immemorial. But I do seem to recall that apples didn't make it up this way until the, what, like, 1800s i mean i guess you've got crab apples never mind fuck me for saying any of that okay (laughs) i mean i thought it was a good point though but also then you're like okay what would sixth century chinese monk have what word was he using for apples and what did it map onto yeah in terms of like the apples that we have at the grocery store yeah no idea Um, yeah severe disadvantage here not being able to read it originally yeah (laughs) totally Totally. We'll work with what we got. I'm trying to think of a people in North or South America and a tree in North or South America and a type of dwelling as described in North or South America 1,500 years ago that all occur in the same space, you know, and I'm having a really hard time with it. Yeah. 
It's pretty much. Um, <laughs> I can there get is you like two out of three. I can't get you all three in one place, you know? Right. So, like, the way they described it at first, I was like, oh, well, you know, huckleberries have reddish dark fruits and they have oval leaves, but they don't grow so big that you could, like, use timber from them. No. None of that. No. There is, like, some plant in Mexico that some people have speculated that it could be, but okay. I, I feel like that's almost a... If you had a whole continent to pick from, you could probably find something that was a decent match. This is one that was in Weird Washington, one of the books that we have relied on many times. And Weird Washington is my good source for, like, the most generous versions of stuff Mm -hmm. sometimes. So here's the generous interpretation that we get from Weird Washington. Let's see. With the exception of the presence of fruit, the trees and their uses could be the western red cedar. Sure. The Fusong houses and towns were reminiscent of the villages of Native Americans along the Washington coast. Their families lived in huge houses built of red cedar planks. In general, a chieftain headed each house, and the chief of each house selected one of their members to be the village chieftain. In many Pacific Northwest villages... When a couple was to wed, it was not unusual for the man to move in with his wife's family, which would have seemed strange to the Chinese. According to Hui Shen, the people of Fusong kept domestic deer, which they raised for meat, milk, and cheese. They trained these deer and also horses and buffalo to pull carts and sledges. The authors just presented that. Yeah. And then didn't say, like, which could be like mm-hmm. this thing that <laughs> this tribe yeah. did. Yeah. They were just like, well, if you ignore one of the key things about this tree, it could be a cedar. Like, you're telling me. Okay, first of all, oval leaves. Cedar. Secondly, a fruit-bearing tree is, like, the essence of this thing. Yes. Nobody is yes. going to look at a cedar yes. and say, that looks like the tree that those ten sun ravens live in. Yes. No. It's it not at all. anything like it. Just what? No. So it could be a cedar. Okay, you mean it has timber? <laughs> it can become lumber? <laughs> that's any, any tree. Yep. That's literally yep. any tree, guys. Yep. Yeah. I'm not buying it. Or yep. the whole, like, oh, and he moves in. It's like, okay, but, like, aren't you telling me this guy didn't understand the concept of moving in with a family? Right. And so he made up a whole right. thing about building a little tiny house right. and living there for a year? Right. Right. Yeah. So, that, as my tone he, conveys, <laughs> I'm skeptical. I think you should be, because uh, because of all the reasons that you said. You absolutely should be skeptical. This feels like a reach a real like stretch arm strong reach like yes. you honed it on one part and went oh i know a tree that can become clothing and also kind of a, a fibrous paper and also be used for timber like you said ignoring a very integral part of the story which is the the round fruit that yeah, yeah looks like, like a tree a to, yeah and in a part i skipped it talked about how they could it would keep for a year which is apparently crucial and i'm like okay i can see that yeah i mean yeah. like this guy was focused on the fruit he was not if he was making stuff up i don't see this this was not 
a thing that you could reasonably yeah. assume he misunderstood yeah. or or added. Yeah. This was like the core of what he was apparently trying to communicate. Yeah. I'm also going to interject because I feel compelled to put in my tiny little bit of knowledge based upon where I work and point out to everyone listening that when we talk about the people here who have been here since time immemorial, the Native American people living on the Washington coast are, my understanding, most likely Coast Salish tribes. There are also interior Salish tribes and people. But just because they're related in geography and the language and some traditions and customs does not mean that they will all practice the same traditions, customs, languages. Yeah. I just want to say it because this was very new to me in the last year and a half of my career, making sure that we all collectively dismantled the idea of a pan-native experience and mm-hmm. recognize yeah, think- that specificity matters. Yes, it does. Are there something like 54 nations on the land that is called Washington? Yeah, and that's just like federally recognized. Yeah. It's not even accounting for... Anyway, a big piece of what makes this very confusing is that you could say, look, we don't know, maybe in the 6th century, there was one village just wilding out. Totally! Doing all yeah. of this Making fake trees. I don't know how to explain that part. There's that is a degree of specificity, yet it's also extremely general, mm-hmm. such that it, it it's very hard to understand. It feels like something out of Herodotus, where he's like, yeah. and then they have the man-sized ants that dig gold out of the ground, yep. or whatever it may be. They have yep. people there with their faces and their chests and the mm-hmm. Amazons. Mm-hmm. So Hui Shen also did an Amazon story. Love Along it. with Fusang, he talked about a land where it's all women, and if they want to get pregnant, they go bathe in a certain river. And <laughs> All right. <laughs> and you're like, this what's River Daddy. Every source I've read has been like, obviously that was made up. And you're like, <laughs> okay. <laughs> I think this guy, if he existed and if he was doing some kind of anthropological survey, if he was trying to report on stuff, I don't think he was like embedded with these villages for years. I think he showed up for maybe a couple weeks yep. and moved on. Yep. So imagine what culture would be described how if you just like hung out, didn't speak the language, oh, or right. just like watching them making shit up for a couple weeks at oh, most. Like right, right. How 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 without a shared language do you understand yeah. that the man living in a dog igloo in somebody's fucking backyard <laughs> is there as a declaration of intent to marry? You tell yeah, me. Yeah, he's gonna stay there for a year. Yeah, right. Like how right. is that conveyed? Right. How did you be like? Well. Mm-mm. 11 months to go. Yep. TikTok, <laughs> man. Keep on keeping on. TikTok, man. Yeah. Another piece that makes people say maybe this is the Northwest, usually they say Oregon, is the 20,000 Lee thing. Because you can math that out and it kind of comes out right. Oh, cool. Like it doesn't make sense for Hawaii or Japan or okay. whatever. It is approximately what they would say. Now, one of the problems is the Lee was not a standardized unit mm. at every time yeah. in 
the history of China between now and when that was recorded. Okay. So there's some flex in the estimation as well. But it points to a key piece of all this, which is it could have happened. Yeah. Like, (laughs) I'm going to say it could have happened for two reasons. One is that Chinese naval technology was often way ahead Mm -hmm. of what they were doing in Europe. In the 1500s or so, they were sailing, like, all the way around Africa, up to, like, the Cape, past the Cape, up to Morocco. Like, when China decided it wanted to do the ocean thing, it could fucking do the ocean thing. (laughs) Uh, That's my historical analysis. They were the Vikings of the Pacific, right? Yeah, if Vikings could do it, then China could do yeah. it. Like, this all works out. Would it be safe? Would it be fun? No. Yeah. <laughs> right. I think they could have done it. You can make the case that they didn't for a reason, right? Like, it's kind of like a moon landing or Columbus's expedition. Like, that is a lot of resources to put out there when you don't know what's on the other side. And that is going to pay off. You only do that when you think there is a big payday waiting for you. Or you need some kind of resource that you can only obtain that way. And generally, it was going to be a lot easier for China to work down into, like, Polynesia. Or to go north or to go west. I think going out into the ocean, it's not like the Atlantic, right? Like, it's a lot wider. (laughs) And there are not as many options in terms of routes especially with the way that the currents go but speaking of currents the other reason why i think it could happen Uh (laughs) is because shit do wash up (laughs) in oregon we have talked about the beeswax scallion yes another story i will tell you in this far from home season will be about three japanese castaways in 1834 who get deposited Ooh. on the coast of Oregon. 1834. Like, they get found by the Macaw Nation. It's a whole thing. Yeah. Could somebody have made it from China to the west coast of America and back? Yeah. Would it yeah. have been something that they were interested in doing? There's not a lot of evidence for that, especially just, like, some monk. Yeah. When most countries get into the oceanic transportation exploration age, they're doing it with a lot of resources because they want to get more resources. Yeah. Like, it's a very imperial move, right? Oh, it's yeah. very, like, empire expansion, and you usually have a military. It's not just, like, some guy in a rowboat it, going, I'm going to go see what's going on in Fusong. Uh-huh, uh-huh, yeah. 20,000 li away, this will be fine. Hey, yeah, it's good, I've got that. No, there has to be an impetus, and it has to be a really, really big one to leave the relative safety and security of land for... Mm-hmm. Something that you assume to be true, perhaps you know to be true based on your faith, but again, 20 fucking thousand li away. That is a lot. There are easier ways to spread Buddhism. And (laughs) I feel like I would find it more compelling as a story if it was about once upon a time this monk washed up and lived here ever after. If it was like a a wild series of coincidences happened to do this. There may have been such a person. He may have gone somewhere. I feel like it isn't the Northwest, Mm -hmm. but 
with that in mind, let's talk about why it matters and why this is such a persistent story. Okay. Because there's a lot going on with this. It has come back a couple of times. It first got popularized in the West. So I'm really throwing myself with this. What is West of what and East of what? It's a circle. Oh, it is a circle. It is a sphere. It's a globe, my friend. Yes. I'm being specific here. In France, during the Enlightenment Mm -hmm. in the 1700s, they caught on to this story and they got very excited about (laughs) it. This was the first time that Western Europe heard the story of Fusang, and a lot of the translation that I've been reading from is from that era, where they're commenting on it because they were fascinated by the idea, because, like, they were barely aware of North America, right, in the 1700s. Like, you know it's there, but it's not like you have great maps or, especially the West Coast. That's Mm -hmm. a real question mark area when the Louisiana Purchase hasn't quite gone down. Oh, yeah, right? I read an interesting article that was about why French intellectuals grabbed onto this so much. So there's a couple pieces in there. First of all, It was just a huge trend at the time. They thought everything from China was the coolest. Mm. They tried to decorate their houses to look like they thought things looked in China. They were incorrect, but they were trying. They tried so hard. Chinese furniture, the whole chinoiserie thing was huge. It was a huge trend, and this was part of this. It also fit into how they thought about science and knowledge because part of what was being explained in these documents they were getting from China and translating at, you know, (laughs) with a few people who could translate it is they felt that there was like a universal science that humanity would uncover and understand. Mm -hmm. So every time they found something in Chinese philosophy or Chinese geography or Chinese science that lined up with how they understood the world, they said, now we know we're right. Now Uh, (laughs) we've got to be correct. Yeah. Because, They've come up with it, too. And we're just going to say all the stuff that doesn't match is a myth or something. Uh Like, I mean, even back then, some people were saying, like, I really don't buy this Fusong thing. And some people were saying, I absolutely think this is correct. So the universal science thing was one piece. Another piece of it was that in this era, people still thought that all humans were descended from Noah and his family. So they conceptualized humanity as spreading from one central point, which they thought was, you know, somewhere Africa, Middle East-ish. I'm not really sure how much they felt like they had that nailed down, but it, it was certainly like one origin point. Yeah. And this meant that Native Americans were very confusing for them. Yeah. I guess they just thought you could walk to France from wherever I think, you know, Noah landed. Yeah. But you can't walk to that place. So how did people get there? So how did people get there? It calls into question the idea that they're basing this all on, right? With the single descendant. Yeah. Well, it's all very neatly explained, if you assume. But some of Noah's descendants went east to China. And then their descendants went further east and came to North America and became the Native Americans. It all adds up. Wow. We've you can solved every riddle of the world. It's 1750. <laughs> it's we nailed like it. Colonialism went, yay, we did it. <laughs> we solved it, guys. 
I mean, this was also part of their fascination with, oh man, I'm trying to navigate this. It's very hard to talk about racist ideas without leaving long pauses Ah. in your (laughs) words. But (laughs) one of the reasons why they really liked this idea is because the way that they needed, they being like enlightenment thinkers of the school of thought discussed in this article I read, the way that they needed to fit China into their worldview was a little bit challenging for them Mm -hmm. because they were very used to cultures that did not have what to them constituted the marks of civilization. Okay. And then they found China. Yeah. And they're like, oh, no, they do everything we do, and they do it better. (laughs) And they've been doing it for longer. Yeah. Like, they couldn't be like, oh, you run around naked all the time, so I'm more important Mm -hmm. than you. Mm -hmm. Oh, you don't have a huge building that you run your government out of. Yeah. So we're legit, and you don't know anything. Yeah. Like, they really were having to reckon with the the reality of China. And so the way that they did this was basically they said... China is like us, but over there. And then their descendants are inferior because they were separated. Yeah. Like, they went over yeah. and then they just, like, chilled out and didn't continue advancing. Yeah. Like, they had an explanation for everything in this yeah. theory that was based on nothing. But they loved the song <laughs> as a story because they're like, this is evidence that this is happening. Sure. They're like, when did all these other people go there <laughs> in your version of this? Mm-hmm. It's unclear. Mm-hmm. <sighs> yeah, I thought it was one monk who went and hung out for 15 days on a beach. Mm-hmm. I don't, yeah, I don't know. Uh, he was a prolific monk, I guess. <laughs> I guess monks weren't celibate in uh, in Buddhism. Now, the premise of Chinese discovery of America, you know, picture my air quotes around discovery. Yeah. We know people were already here. Is still popular to this day. The most recent kind of flourishing of it was a book called 1421, Mm -hmm. The Year China Discovered America, Mm -hmm. which I kept running into that as I was researching this. Historians do not like the suggestions there. (laughs) Shit do not add up, apparently, in that book. But with any idea that has been popular for, you know, 1,500 or 1,600 years, we should probably stop and say, why is this idea so popular? Mm-hmm. So we've touched on a couple of them, which is, you know, it, it explained things in a certain scientific frame of mind, you know, using the word scientific very loosely. Yeah. But as people were trying to think through how to organize the world, it was easier if they had this extra line of connection yeah. that let them kind of tie everything together in a way that they couldn't if they didn't understand where the people living in North America had come from. Another reason why it is very popular is that it challenges orthodoxy. Mm-hmm. I feel like I understand this because... At this point, can you hear, like, somebody say, oh, Columbus discovered America and not be, like, immediately ready to throw oh, hands? Yeah. Like, <laughs> it activates no. your rage center. Just, yeah. <laughs> Do you want me to be angry? You tell me to calm down or you tell me that Columbus discovered America. <laughs> That'll do it. Either way, I'm zero to yeah. 100. Is sort of a baseline myth yeah. that I almost, I don't even think kids get taught that these days. 
but it's it's baked in yeah. to an extent where if somebody was like, oh, the Jeopardy question or whatever, the Wheel of Fortune question yeah. is blank discovered America. Yeah. You would know what they were trying to ask yes. you. Like we have that idea in the back of our heads, even if we don't believe it. So every idea that undermines that is very popular because it is contrarian and it gets good clicks and engagement or whatever the 1800s version of that is <laughs> to say, no, your sacred cow <laughs> is not so sacred. No, yeah. actually, you know, this Viking discovered America. Yeah. Actually, this other person discovered America, which, as some author I read pointed out, really just kind of shifts the focus Away from the fact that nobody discovered America in this kind of abstract, hey, there's this place where nobody lives. Yeah. Let's put a flag on yeah. that way. Yeah. No, a lot of people encountered North America yeah. before Christopher Columbus. Yeah. Sometimes it's just about the flag and the map, I guess. Or yeah. How uh, aggressively you're going to exploit it. So yeah. that is one argument against the Fusong thing as well, where they're like, does it count as discovering it? If you just kind of drove past real fast and <laughs> wrote down a couple pages, yeah, is that anything? Like nobody yeah. ever followed up on it. Yeah, apparently, yeah, that was just the end of that story. Yeah. So the challenge to orthodoxy is very appealing. I mean, mm -hmm. it feels like we're getting access to secret knowledge to go, ooh, actually, did you know yeah. it's not this? It's why it's not champagne unless da 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 da. I feel like. I want to acknowledge that energy, but also say, let's pick up that energy and apply it to acknowledging the role of Chinese and other Asian immigrants in developing the West that we have now. Yeah. Like, that's a big thing that I'm doing a lot of research about, like Spokane's Chinatown, mm -hmm. the Lotus Block. I'm, I'm digging very far into that right mm -hmm. now in kind of the local history energy that has spun off this that doesn't always become an episode, but, it, you know, I do other stuff with it. Yeah. That story is really important. But the story of discovery without conquest it just kind of leaves you hanging. Mm -hmm. Where you're like, what do I do with this information mm -hmm. if it, if such was the case? Like, what what are the implications of this? Oh, let me very briefly, before I go on to the last reason why this stuff comes back again. Okay. One piece that is associated with this, and it is the anchor stones. These are anchor stones off the coast of California. And one of the reasons that people believe the Fusong hypothesis is that they say, we have found these objects. There's between 20 and 30 stones round stones with drilled holes in them okay. they've been found off palos verdes okay and they're spread out over more than an acre of ocean bottom so it's not like oh they had a box of these mm. and a shipwrecked the people who argue that this is evidence of chinese ships off the coast of california in the fifth or sixth century say this is in a style consistent with, you know, 500 to 1,000 years old. Dr. Frost, who is, let's see, professor of the history of seafaring at the University of California at Santa Barbara, which sounds like a fantastic job. Amazing. Says, what style 
only a limited amount of style is required to bore a rough hole in a rock <laughs> so that it can hold a rope. And I'm like, you know. Thank you, Dr. You Pirate. Good <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Appreciate you. <laughs> Yo-ho, Dr. Frost. That was a good one. <laughs> I mean, they look like donuts. They yeah. look like yeah. powdered donuts, basically. Yeah. Uh, the people who found these have at times said they are 3,000 years old. Mm. And that would be really exciting if it were the case. But they're not. Okay. The thing is, they're not traditional western anchors and the reason for this is because they were probably anchors used by the fishing boats of the chinese people who were living in california in the 1800s yeah i mean the rocks are from california these aren't like okay, the chinese rocks yeah i mean that was a style of anchor that was used in china so presumably people who knew how to make that kind of anchor out of a rock they found on the ground and were fishing yeah would do that yep and then it would fall off yep. and land on the ground. Yep. It's not the evidence that I've seen really suggests that this is people living in California who knew how to make a basic anchor out of stone. Yeah. So there's actually a anthropologist who interviewed a number of elderly Chinese people in California who remembered even in the early 1900s, people still using stone anchors when they were fishing. Well, so I think that's cool on its own. Yeah. You found this, like, completely different form of anchor representing this this tradition that's been carried over and done up with California rock because yeah. of this population that's coming. That's cool. That's f- it doesn't have to be 3,000 years old. No. I mean, that's inter- just as interesting in a very different way to see, like, oh, cool. So this is a traditional way of doing things that has been passed down from generation to generation because it works. Because it's, yeah. it, it's a good, convenient way of doing things and had a modern application. Unless you have access to a nice amount of iron. Mm, yeah. Like, just use a rock. Yeah, just use a rock. Use a rock. It's rock. right there. It's free. I can put a hole in it. We're done. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. If it breaks, if my cool. net breaks, if my rope breaks and it sinks to the bottom of the ocean, I'm not out 25 pounds of incredibly expensive <laughs> iron ore. Yeah. It was a fucking rock. Hopefully we'll, more where that came from. <laughs> it's okay. We got a whole beach of them. All right. So this idea was talked about, it was talked about in the 6th century in China. It was talked about in the 18th century in France. It had a, a renaissance in the 19th century in England and America. I'm not sure. I think somebody just picked up the book and translated yeah. it again. Okay. And it had a renaissance in the 1980s. And what was going on then in China is, like, far beyond my ability to encapsulate. Yeah. But essentially, I think, from my limited understanding, that there is a nationalism aspect to it. And they didn't like that we were being the big dick swinging American assholes. Yeah. And they said, everything you have done, we did 1,500 years ago. With, like, half the resources, if that. Yeah. And I think this fit into that. I think there are definitely publications that I found from the 80s -hmm. 
where Chinese scholars from mainland China are talking about this as absolute fact. They're like, the Fusong thing, this proves, they don't try to say it's the Northwest, but they say that was the U.S. Gotcha, yeah. And that's what happened. And it is proof that we have been traveling to the U.S. for a very long time. And I think it is in some ways a reaction to that, I don't know, that tension that it exists in the West when dealing with China of trying to understand that all other countries in the world don't have the motto, we're number two. Yeah. yeah. You know? Yeah. <laughs> that yeah. you're like, oh, you also feel that you're number yeah. one. I think this was, you know, in the 80s, we're, we're, China's opening up to a degree. There's a lot of more, there's a lot more trade mm-hmm. happening. There's a lot more cultural exchange. Mm-hmm. And there is some tension about the superiority complexes. These are some big egos meeting nationally. Absolutely. Yeah. So I think that's why it had this renaissance. Yeah. Also because I think it will always have some energy as a conspiracy theory. Sure. You know, they don't want you to know the truth. Sure. That the Chinese discovered this. I think like a lot of the legends we cover, it almost, the things that they try to attach to it, almost blur over the cool stuff that actually was happening. So Mm -hmm. I do want to talk about, in later episodes, about some of the actual interactions that were going on between China and Japan and the the West in the 1800s and even before. But Fusong, there's no piece of it where I go, yeah, that sounds like the Northwest. If he had described, I mean... They know what pine trees are. Right. If he had said there's right. a lot of pine trees, if he had said there's right. very steep mountains. Right. Or if he had described a salmon. Right. Just like anything distinctive. Right. But this is so general and yet specific at the same time. It's just a very narrow lens mm-hmm. on wherever mm-hmm. was being described. Mm-hmm. And I don't, I don't think we can ever really tie it to anything. It's fascinating because it makes you start thinking about things that are interesting to think about. It makes you think about mariners. It makes you think about sea voyages. It makes you think about what is the line between myth and legend and reality? And why does it matter if something is real in the tangible sense? You know, I'm not saying it does or doesn't, but why Why is that important to you for this to have actually happened? I think it gives your brain a lot of different things to play with which is yeah. uh, uh, always a cool story for me. I think so too. And I think the big question I have is, well, put it this way. Our first record of it is allegedly from more than a hundred years after this account was presented at court. Mm-hmm. What was happening politically yeah. at that time yeah. that made this something that they wanted to emphasize? Yes. Or was it just... Everybody wrote about this and a million other things, and none of it survived. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. We just have this one tiny little lip, this one screen, this one animation cell of something going on, Mm -hmm. and are lacking so much context. Mm -hmm. But I wonder, you think about things that are satire, like think about like a modest proposal or whatever, where somebody is playing something completely straight in a way that they know will be understood by their reader, or like the Trans-Alaskan Gopher Company, yeah. or yeah. anything like that, yeah. where you can tell a story for a reason, and the story can escape the reason. 
and go on forever. Yes. And I feel like that's what we're left with here. Like, there was a reason for them to write down the story of Huishan and Fusan. Yes. We don't know what it was. Yes. And I think the worst thing we can do when trying to understand the Fusang thing is to put our own reasons on it. Mm -hmm. Because I know for sure a 5th century, 6th century Chinese monk was not making his decisions 100% based on the same things I think about when I make decisions. (laughs) That I do know. That That is pretty solid knowledge, man. Yeah, I would agree with that. Know yourself, you know, and I know that I'm not a Buddhist monk. Yeah. (laughs) 1,500 years ago. Yeah, yeah. Wow, yes. I love this introspection coming from you. This is a very... Yeah, <laughs> you, I can't do... Get you, she's a 10, but she's, she's not she's a Buddhist. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, right? <laughs> I think you bring up a really good point in, in all of the historical documents that you and I look at for the show or that I think anybody should consider when reading is like, who's, who's telling you this? What what reasons could they have for telling you this in this way? Yeah, that's where I really felt like the story of this became interesting to me is all the different ways that this one confusing little story has been used to explain different things yeah. in the world or to justify different perspectives. Yeah. When you look at it and you're kind of like, I don't know what he was trying to do. Maybe he was just trying to be entertaining. Maybe somebody made him up and was trying to advocate for some. Who knows? We have no idea. Do you ever think about what you just said, which was like maybe 48. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. That's. I never think about what I just said. You're right. You're right. It's like (laughs) Kelly Kapoor. I talk a lot, so I've learned to tune myself out. (laughs) I think it would be fascinating if what you said is true that like what if like 48 other guys were writing about this same thing at the same time and we just happen mm-hmm. to get the one surviving document fairly random and this is the one glimpse so this is the animation cell we have that is supposed to represent the entire cinematic masterpiece dude what if in 400 years this podcast recording is the only surviving evidence of Fu Seng? like how fucked oh. are historians then because I edited stuff out because I thought it yep. I wasn't going to read the whole thing out loud or, you know, what color clothes he wore yep. in the second year, da, da, da. Just like the people before yep. were like, I'm just going to quote the parts that have to do with what I'm telling yep. you about. Yep. I hope you feel the full weight of your decisions. Hope it keeps you up at night. <sighs> You're welcome. Sorry, Fusang. Sorry. <laughs> really Sorry. <laughs> It's been a while, so I'll do the socials at the top of the season, and then I'm going to speed through them, I yeah. think. So, we're sometimes on Twitter, <laughs> Facebook, and Instagram. <laughs> you can go to OuijaBroads.com. I recommend you check out Ouija and Broads to to look at that fun game that Tristan made do and for do. us. I, I should mention the perfumes. Uh, we oh, have fun. the perfumes yeah. that are linked from the website, and they're really cool. Mm-hmm. I need to reorder some, because they're great. Ellen did a really good job on that. Yeah. If you want to get stickers or a glow-in-the-dark Baba Yaga pin, yeah, you do. we've got, let's see, some good holographic Stay Weirds. So we've got Seance and Chill. Mm-hmm. This is just Devin eye-fucking the camera. What is this a sale for? Oh, Felt Witch Bonnet. There you go. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You can see me eye-fuck the camera in like four distinct colorways. Thank you very much. Exactly. 
So if you want to check that stuff out, go to etsy.com slash shop slash hellomostghost, or you can jump on to our Patreon at patreon.com slash wagerbroads. There, I did it. I did all of Proud of, them. of you. So good. You did great. Now I got to tell you about what I'm excited about, and I'm so glad I didn't forget, which is if you were in Spokane, mm-hmm. there's a new restaurant. It is called Indigenous Eats. Yeah! And I'm so excited yeah! because way long ago when we talked about Eat Weird Washington, yep. we were talking about restaurants that actually do native cuisine. Yep. We did not have one at this time in Spokane. Now we do. And I went there for lunch today. Yeah. And it owns Bones. And <laughs> you should go there. It's basically like, do you like when I just like become a 12-year-old boy on a playground? Absolutely. Absolutely kicks ass, dude. Fucking it's sick. almost like a Chipotle in that it's, you know, you just kind of line up and they've got the trays and yeah. you tell them what you want to get. Yeah. Their menu is very basic right now. It's just one page. It's basically like you can get, you know, is it like Chipotle, yep. except in this case, you can get rice or taco salad or fry bread, which is what you should <laughs> My do. My God. And then they make a taco for you on top of it. Have, let's see, uh, veggies, beans, there's chicken, beef, bison, and then I think you can do the vegetarian version. Mm-hmm. And then they've got like salsas and, oh, uh, it's really good. I'm, I think I still have some in the fridge, actually. I'm excited. Oh, God, go eat it. <laughs> I hope I didn't already. Oh, I think I did. I'll steal some of Matt's. <laughs> <laughs> Marriage. I'm terrible. People should go check it yeah. out. They're more or less in the Gonzaga campus area by Hamilton. Um, okay. Like around a Tasty Bun and places like that. So they've sprung up these various buildings that can contain a lot of restaurants. It's right across from Rincon to Patio. Is that like... And okay. Delicious. Check it out. Go early because I understand they've been selling out every day and having As to take stuff off the they menu. They should. So I, I think their food is delicious and it is important to go out and vote with your dollars on a local business mm-hmm. like this, a native-owned mm-hmm. business. I will say, like, compared to Chipotle, just so that you're prepared, it is a little pricier. Yeah. But it is also like two meals worth of food. Yeah. Even if yeah. you're a hungry gal like me. Yeah. So yeah. <laughs> keep that in mind. People should go check it out. Indigenous Eats. All right. We ready to head out? We ready to go? I can't get over you saying owns bones, but yeah. I, it owns bones. Yeah, I suppose I'm ready. All right, folks. It's been a minute, but you know what we need you to do. We want you to live weird. I want you to die weird. And stay weird. Thank you for listening. Thank you it's for good to be back. In a minute, I'm going to need you sentimental motherfuckers to stay real weird. Like that? Mm-hmm.